This is Do Good and Do Well, the podcast for people who want to make a positive difference in the world without losing themselves in the process. I'm Sarah Fox, life and leadership coach, and in this podcast, I'll be sharing stories from social and creative entrepreneurs and leaders to help inspire you as a change maker to do good and do well. Hi everyone and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. Today in the Do Good and Do Well Facebook group this week, we have been thinking about self-belief and I have been wondering what that means for me. I am outwardly a confident person. I also can be very critical of myself and sometimes don't believe that I am able to achieve things, which is why something like this podcast is so brilliant because I was petrified (laughs) about making it and about putting myself out there. It felt like a really vulnerable place to be. And I just decided that I needed to get started and do it. And I think once you take action and you try something, that can really build your confidence. You know, it's about testing and trying it out. And I think we can easily be stuck in what ifs. What if no one listens to my podcast? What if... What if people think I talk rubbish? What if no one cares? What if it doesn't make a difference? You know, there are so many of those thoughts going on in my head before I started. Where do I fit? Who will want to listen to me? What do I have to say? What do I have to say that will really help others? And I could have spent a lot of time in my head thinking about that and letting those pesky saboteurs tell me that I'm not good enough and I don't really know what I'm talking about. Who on earth are you to put together a podcast? But in order to build self-belief, in order to build our confidence in our own abilities, we need to give things a go we need to try. You know, if you think about riding a bike or whatever you're an expert in, whatever is your thing, you haven't always known how to do that. You might have had to go to university to learn about it, do a course. You might have had to just get on your bike and give it a go, knowing you might fall off, but you get back on again. And the more that we can try and test and build, the more self-belief we can create. But it needs action. So every day I put in the Facebook group a little prompt for people to think about if they choose to. I invite them to have a think, write in their journal, whatever works for them. And one of the really important points I think about building self-belief is being able to define in your own words what your values and purpose are and connecting with them on a really regular basis. So that might be a really practical thing of writing them on a post-it note and putting them by your laptop. 
or writing in your journal or doing something once a day that connects to that. I'd really invite you to think about what purpose means for you. And I think your purpose can change. It might be in the same ballpark, but I I think purposes can change and really connecting in with that. You know, what is it you want to do with your time now? For all you amazing change makers, what is the change you want to see? Where do you fit within that? And really being able to articulate that and understand it will then help to ground you and keep you really focused. It's so easy, isn't it, to compare ourselves to other people. And I think I've said this on this podcast before, but as Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And that has been quite revelatory for me. And every time I say it out loud to someone, it's, yes, it doesn't make me happy. Comparing ourselves to other people does not make me happy. And it is so easy to do that in this world where there is so much noise out there and so many people who seem to be doing very similar things to us. Oh, look at her over there. How is she managing to do that? I want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'd never be able to do that. I'm not as good as her. Oh, look at what he's doing. That's amazing. I could never do that. Why can't I do that? It has such a negative impact on most of us. Sometimes it can be helpful. Like that person over there, actually, if they can do it, I'm going to do it. If they can do it, I can definitely do it. But if it makes you feel bad and if it takes away the focus from what it is you want to do, then trying hard not to compare yourself is really important. And that might be simple as just unfollow people, you know, uh, or being really intentional about your use of social media, that you are only on it for a certain amount of time a day. And having people that inspire you, follow people that make you want to be better, do better, who bring you joy, you know, what nourishes you, what fuels you, is that a walk in the woods, is it listening to an amazing podcast by a really inspirational ginger coach, is it moving your body, dancing, singing, a lot of you are so creative, when are you being creative, when are you creating And again, it's that the more you do this, the more you feel into who you are and really trust who you are and start to love who you are, then you will build that self-belief. And the more of that self-belief that you have, the more action you will take. And the more action you take, the more change you will make. So that's a bit of my waffle about self-belief. Please let me know what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I really want to have these conversations. Is there anything else we should be doing? And if you are wanting to get engaged with this Do Good, Do Well community, you can come and join my Facebook group. I have a theme every week and you can find the link in the show notes. So my guest today is Rebecca Schiller. 
I just think she is, like all of my guests, incredible. She's an author, a journalist and a campaigner. She is a trustee, former CEO and co-founder of Birthrights, the human rights in childbirth charity. She is a regular contributor to The Guardian and Observer, and she has a memoir coming out called Earth. Enjoy. Hello, Rebecca, and a huge welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. How are you today? I'm okay, I think. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, lock, lockdown time still at the moment, but otherwise pretty good. Thanks, Sarah. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm probably the same. It's been a bit of a, a hard month, um, but I'm glad to see that spring, <laughs> there are signs of spring coming. In fact, I said to my daughter this morning, spring will be here soon. So tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Well, um, I currently describe myself I guess as a writer but I do do lots of things and have done lots of things over the past decade so I write books I do some journalism I run something called Mothers Who Write which is support writing coaching um, and advice for mothers who are writers and that's all come on the back of a a desire to um, protects women through pregnancy and childbirth by promoting respect for human rights, which I founded a human rights uh, charity with a friend of mine and spent quite a lot of the past decade running that and doing kind of work around that. And I'm now um, still very much involved with that charity, which is called Birthrights as a trustee. So a real blend of different kinds of activism and some creative stuff along with the usual stuff of life I also accidentally run a small holding so just try and keep everything very calm and and, and, and not too busy as you can as you can tell <laughs> yes um, I've known you for a while now and I'm so struck by your real desire around Uh, social justice from the first time we chatted and I heard about what you did you've got such a sense of wanting good for others to make sure that those people whose voices aren't being listened to are being listened to and you see on your social media and when I talk to you that that thread runs through your entire being yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, it, it it's it really it's it's quite, it's quite simple in some ways i've always really really hated unfairness and have found it impossible to ignore or or leave it alone and that doesn't mean i've always noticed unfairness i guess like a lot of yeah. people i'm still having my eyes open to 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 unfairness that that i i haven't noticed or experienced but even as a kid where something has appeared unfair it's like a like a magnetic pull I absolutely cannot leave it alone and I also really struggle to understand it and and when I don't I like to understand things so I think I have to get quite involved in order to just try and get myself to place where I can fathom 
why these injustices and inequalities and unfairnesses exist so yeah it does it does drive me across lots of different parts of my my life and my work so so what does do good and do well mean for you that's quite a hard question isn't it um i think doing good it's funny how it how it, it's used in in a pejorative sense isn't it it's making me think of do-gooder <laughs> yeah yeah do you know, you know? I, al- I almost called the community do-gooders because I wanted to reclaim yeah. that sense of you know we can do good in the world without it feeling so worthy and yeah people looking at you as if you know oh you're such a do-gooder yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny though, isn't it? Like words like worthy and, and you know, the terribly misappropriated term woke. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, what's wrong with being worthy? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the opposite of being woke is, is being asleep, being like shut off and shut down and completely um, unable to see the, the truth of something is that it comes from African-American civil rights struggles and about being awoken and that, that those words have become something that you can use to sneer at people and, and discredit them is really telling and, and interesting. Like being earnest as well. It's one of the things I've realised about myself. I'm, I'm actually quite earnest and it's very unfashionable, uh, especially if you're a journalist, you're supposed to, on social media, make lots of cynical jokes. And I'm actually actually quite earnest, which doesn't mean I don't have a sense of humour and it doesn't mean I take myself too seriously. But I, I think there's something in doing good about like using what you've got to try and at least make the world no worse than when you came into it and and perhaps try and do something with whatever it is you happen to be and have to advance progress and I I think there are so many ways to do that 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 beyond that very general term the general idea I don't I don't think you can sort of break it down much further for me but but it certainly, I guess, shouldn't be something to be ashamed of, which I do think we're encouraged to think it is. Mm. Um, yeah. And and did you want me to do do well as well? Yeah. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's just not doing that stuff and not collapsing under the weight of it. I think doing good often involves not doing the easiest thing mm. and especially when things are hard, like they are for many of us at the moment. But in general, it's the easiest thing because it's easier. (laughs) And so if you make a lot of choices that make things harder for you, then it's very easy to become submerged in, in that difficulty. So it's about the balance, I guess, about being able to maintain your own um, sense of self and sense of well-being at the same time as as doing difficult things often people who are doing good are doing things that can be quite distressing so finding the way for you to have that balance and working out what it is you need in order to not just survive but thrive in that environment it's a very long-winded answer sorry Sarah I told you I would witter (laughs) (laughs) I love the way that you describe things I think that's such a beautiful way of saying it and actually really chimes with why I 
created this podcast in the first place uh, because I think being in that change-making space, you're right, is tough. And the conversations that you have, the injustices that you see, but sometimes all the time, you know, they're, they're so pervasive that that can have such a detrimental effect on your own well-being. And yet it doesn't, it's not a priority for a lot of people. Taking real responsibility for how you are so that you can really make that impact is a message that I'm really passionate about getting out there. Definitely. And and it's already, you know, just hearing you say that, knowing that you uh, were setting up this podcast I think that goes a long way certainly for me to feeling less you can feel quite lonely sometimes Mm. in this work and I sometimes feel a bit selfish as well particularly when one of the when you're you're at the opposite end of the do well spectrum the people around you your family and friends that they're often having to put up with quite a lot and and it can feel like oh is this Am I, am I deluding myself here that I'm doing any good and actually yeah. sort of causing harm? And I think hearing other people who face the same decisions and challenges and have the same opportunities and sort of desire and, and talking about that, just the sense of community is, is I guess, an important part of the doing well. Mm. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I remember when I emailed you and you replied to me, (laughs) I'm not sure it's do good and do well. I think it's do good and do awful, (laughs) which I think is probably, it might be the title. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that the book talks a lot about it, but that when have you not done so well? Well, I guess the short answer would be probably always, but as with most people, the things that you struggle with or find difficult, you develop various coping strategies and they generally work for a while. And so I think most people, and so it's the outside world and a lot of times to myself, I would say that sort of career-wise and relationship-wise uh, seem to be doing pretty well and coping pretty well with quite juggling quite a lot of things. But I know that even before I had kids, I would throw myself, I did worked in the charity sector and I'd really throw myself into work and look back on some of the things that I did and think that was completely disproportionate. I was working for a charity, we were re- I was redoing the website and I somehow got myself landed with do- uploading all of the copy for the website to the content management system myself. It was a massive website. I was just working about 19 hours a day for about a month doing this including the weekends and most people would not have done that and if I had asked for help I wouldn't have needed to do that but it, from the beginning of my career definitely feeling like I you know I had to do all of this myself and never say when I wasn't coping and um, I think the, it started to come unstuck really when I had lots more responsibilities a couple of children and and as well as my charity career, I was doing writing and writing books. And in 2017, I had a huge amount of work to do. I was still chief executive of um, the charity. I was writing a book for a big publisher. And I really sort of walked into some kind of complete burnout 
the beginnings of a breakdown at, at that point and really have been suffering with quite a lot of mental health issues ever since some of which are tied up with with work stuff and and some with other things and one of the things that's come out in the past year or so is that I um, have been diagnosed with uh, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder which explains quite a lot of the things that I have I have struggled with but also explains quite a lot of my interest and sort of ability to say okay well I'm going to do something about this right now (laughs) sort of launch right into it so I'm hoping to get out of the do good and do awful by really understanding how my brain works a bit better and and actually being really grateful for some of the the things that my ADHD traits have given me while trying to realize that it it means that I actually have quite a different experience of the world to lots of other people and uh, and I've been sort of spending quite a long time fitting myself into various boxes that didn't really didn't really work for me and not understanding why everything felt so hard so yeah another long-winded answer but I hope maybe a helpful one for some some people who are listening and thinking (laughs) they feel a bit like swimming against the tide sometimes which which definitely has has felt like for me Mm. yeah I come from a really working class background and things have felt difficult because I've been trying to like fit into this world I mean I'm middle class now but thinking back to all of the molding that I had to do in order to fit and work in the system that is so prevalent and so although I can't understand no I don't share that experience with ADHD there is something about how many of us aren't really truly being ourselves yeah because we're having to fit, squeeze into these places that weren't created for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an experience that almost everybody will share at some time Mm. or another, perhaps particularly women and, of course, anyone who, who faces some kind of discrimination and prejudice in their working life. Yeah. Um, will have been tempted and and, and probably <laughs> given in to the temptation to try and be less like yourself and more like who it is you are supposed to be. Um, and that takes a lot of effort. Mm. Um, and I don't think at the moment our working world, I mean, our society in general, but certainly the world of work, and I could get very late capitalist uh, <laughs> yeah but you know it, it's not set up for individuals of course and so being an individual in a big system is is quite difficult and when you're in an under-resourced system often like the charity sector mm-hmm. then it, it can actually be even even though the work is about doing good the the impact on the individual trying to, to do that work within that 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 sort of system that doesn't take account of that that individual's needs it's a pretty um significant impact the more you're putting that extra effort in the the quicker you will become depleted and that's definitely the thing for me I have become very depleted through work on other things and it's just sort of becoming clear to me now that I have been putting effort in pretty much all the time that and a job interview level of efforts for everything I do be it domestic or or work related or or with friends but another 
trait that a lot of ADHD people have is being very resilient and also being very distractible. So, you know, I kind of forget pretty quickly, honestly. You know, if I feel fine, I can forget that I haven't been feeling fine. So for me, the signs that I think lots of other people would have would have picked up on much sooner and, and would have realised they were struggling much sooner. I really pushed myself to a, a, a very difficult place and point because I just wasn't equipped and, and, and aware of, of what that, that sort of meant for me. Yeah, I was I was just thinking then about had you known much earlier, ten years, twenty years ago, about how things are for you, what difference do you think that might have made? That's a very good question. Um, Not sure that I know the answer, though. Mm. I know that the difference it's making at the moment, and I'm still only, it's, I was diagnosed at the end of February last year, so I really am only just beginning to get my head around it and beginning to get sort of, uh, really good therapy and starting that process of looking back over things and working out how to do things in a different way. But I know that just understanding the not feeling like I'm a failure for finding things hard mm. and feeling like I've got permission to explain that I find things difficult, it just makes a difference to how I feel about it. But I think the main thing would be particular strategies in place to cope with the things I find challenging and to mediate between the kind of impulsive idea generating bit of my brain and the but actually doing all of the administrative work to get to the point where the idea is realized might be really overwhelming for me that having those strategies in place and understanding what it is that relaxes me so I don't relax by I, I can't relax by by things that don't involve doing something. Um, mm-hmm. I've always I've been I spent quite a bit of time really beating myself up for that. <laughs> I need to relax more, and it's been really interesting to realise that actually I really need to be doing something to relax and work out what it is I can do that restores me and frees my brain up and calms it and doesn't exhaust me. Mm-hmm. Is a really powerful a powerful tool. So yeah, working out what for me specifically relaxation and restoration looks like and then in a sort of career and also a home life sense being like well I'm actually really good at this bit which is generally the there's a problem and I can use my kind of lateral thinking to come up with a solution that really ties loads of ends up in in a really interesting creative way it's just that they tend to be very big ideas and the bit I am a bit oppressed by is everything that that makes those ideas come to fruition so realizing I need help with that part of it I think makes a big difference to how I structure my work life and where I focus my attention and also being able to say to people like I can do this but I'm going to find it really difficult so it's going to take longer and I've been able to do things with work projects people have sent things to me in a format that's very um distracting and I've had to say I've been able to say oh well I I have ADHD and actually I can't look at this without (laughs) it makes me flee please could you send it as a word document because you know without the colors and then I will be able to do it so very practical things like that I think would have would have helped hugely and hopefully I wouldn't would have made me not get quite so um 
tired. <laughs> mm. I, there's so many lessons within that that I think we can all take away in terms of being able to say, this is what I need in order to do a really good job. Yeah. And it not being that's not an irritating thing you're not that's not to annoy anyone but it's just to say if you if I want to do the best that I can for this piece of work for my family for for my life whatever I need to be able to ask for help I need to be able to say these are the conditions that are required in order for me to really fulfill my potential and I was talking last week about radical responsibility for well-being mm. and I think part of that is about really tuning into what it is you need in order to do your best yeah. and to and to survive and thrive and have fun and nourish what you were saying about what rest and recuperation means for me yeah is very different for others I think it's absolutely right and I bang on about this all the time that for me a bubble bath with epsom salts in you know there for hours in there is really helps me but for others it doesn't sometimes the doing of hard work feeling like you've achieved something and you've got something done can be really nourishing your work can be nourishing yeah but we have to we have to get better at asking for what we need and being and modeling that to others I think about my children I want them to see that they can ask for what they need yes yes uh, and, and I think in some ways it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about whether you're neurodiverse or not having to squeeze yourself into a you know we've all got our work personas haven't we and they're not quite the same we've got lots yeah. of different personas but the more you're having to squeeze yourself into a mold that really isn't you and and perform a, a version of yourself in order to feel like you have the right to be somewhere and, and and I think the more you do that that the less likely you are to feel able to say oh by the way I need things like this mm. in order to do a good job and it's been really pow- a powerful thing for me to realize that when I have asked everyone has been very happy to accommodate what I need Mm. um very nervous about asking but it hasn't been a problem And, and that's in part who I'm choosing to work with as well and where I'm choosing to focus my work life Mm. with with a bit more self-knowledge of what is okay for me and what isn't but it's in part because if you don't ask you don't get and I I think another thing that I've really realized is that people will think you are capable and are someone that they can ask to do anything and will do things super quickly and that's People that I work with generally think of me like that. And even my my agent, who has worked very closely with me on um, Earth, the book that I've got coming out this year, so she knows everything about how I've been and my diagnosis and the struggles I've had. But even her, uh, talking to her about a couple of things I needed and actually going back to her and saying, I know I said I could do this thing, but actually on reflection, I really can't. And, and she sort of said, you know, well, of course, but, you know, I just always think of you as someone who can always do stuff. And so even she, who should have read uh, 100,000 words in the original you know, draft of, of me explaining that I wasn't that person, 
she needed reminding that just because I'd been playing that role for a while didn't mean it was true. And so I, I think the more that we give ourselves permission to ask, the more other people are enabled to help us and accommodate us. I'm saying this mainly for myself because I definitely am still learning this lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so, so important. And to give ourselves permission that we can keep reminding that, you know, and we're all human, we all forget things and about people and about who we work with and, and we can hold a view of someone for a long time and we don't necessarily want it to change because we don't really like change either and also I suppose creating spaces where we can say it's okay for you to keep reminding me of that I won't be offended I won't be annoyed just say what it is you need to say and let's try and create a space where we can all be ourselves and do amazing things yeah yeah, definitely. The work is better, of course, if, mm. if, if we're able to work in ways that, that's, that suit us. And I think for me, it motivates me to remember that you were talking about modelling this behaviour to your children. And I think also there are people that I might be working with, external organisations or companies who aren't used to people saying, oh, you know, I'm neurodiverse or I've got a disability and I therefore request this. And so the, if I do that, I'm setting that precedent and I'm mm-hmm. making that more okay and, and, and normalising that. And as someone that likes... <laughs> to do good even if I'm feeling a bit nervous about doing it for myself I can dress it up as sort of stealth activism and that, <laughs> that encourages me to do it yeah oh I love that stealth activism yeah. um okay look, Rebecca tell us about the book I've read it and loved it and there's loads I want to talk to you about it. but I feel like I should give you the floor to talk about it first I find it, I still haven't got my, it's out and it's at the beginning of May and I, I still haven't got my pattern, my little snappy pattern. This is, this is a practice. It. Um, so it's called Earthed and it's a memoir. Um, so it's very different from anything I've written before. And it's about mine and my family's life here on a small holding where we have been for four years. And the idea of returning to the land when the world outside (laughs) seems volatile and uncertain, but actually the world inside your head feels volatile and uncertain too. Mm. The publishers have said it's a memoir for our uncertain times so that's what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm sticking with and so even though it is a very personal story um it is a lot about going through hard times and what it is you find to hold on to and the complexities within that so yes that's my patter so far <laughs> very good <laughs> well, that sound like the book you read yes yes <laughs> definitely if there was only one thing that the your readers would take away what would you like that to be um <laughs> i'm a really great writer and you want to write <laughs> yes. copies. i think the interconnectedness of the world and the people in it and I was very keen to explore I always am explore that to not deliberately but it is a a foil to the pull to 
isolationism and nationalism and segregation and division if you focus on the way that uh, people and places across history, across great divides, you can find significant connections. And so one of the things that I do in the book, though it's memoir, there's quite a lot of fiction in it and, and quite based on um, research and, and historical research. And a lot of that is tracing the people who were here on this patch of Kent before and then tracing their lives and how those tangle with people thousands of mi miles away and then somehow how those come back and end up in a pandemic in, in 2020. So yeah, co connectedness and, and that kind of amazing... I don't know, it always feels like a sort of golden web a little bit that if you open your eyes to it, you can't, you can be selfish. I'm selfish a lot of the time, but you can't only be selfish if you open your eyes to how complicated and connected we are to others and to nature and to history and everything really you can't see me because we've got our videos off because my internet connection is being rubbish but i have this massive grin on my face here listening to you because it feels to me like a really important message there is so much at the moment i think around individualism and and not feeling connected mm. not practically emotionally physically and, and so the way that you describe that is so beautifully put and reminds us that we do all have a place we yeah. do all have a place in the world and we are all connected in some way but as you say opening your eyes to that and seeing that yeah yeah I, I think the the book is about both doing that and then also in a way that ties neatly to the title of your podcast, being able to carry on mm. <laughs> when you've opened your eyes to that. Yeah. It, it, the book covers my, what is a sort of extended slow, slow breakdown and, and, my eventual ADHD diagnosis and one of the things that the ADHD diagnosis made me realize is my inherent ability and the, the place my brain instantly goes to is the big wide place the zoom out I like to see everything that I possibly can I think everything is important I'm not relaxed until I found the way that everything joins up in a sort of <laughs> nice little matrix and that that can be very handy but it's also very overwhelming mm -hmm. um and so as well as exploring that I guess it's also about finding ways to cope cope with that without shutting it down and I use my my land and the, the things I grow and the animals a lot for that because it makes me very grounded literally in the moment and the place and my body is nice and occupied with a physical activity that's often quite repetitious mm -hmm. um, but which frees my brain up to do some much gentler thinking but because that wonderful thing when you're outside and you're sowing a seed 
that you actually saved from a plant you grew last year and you know what it, you're thinking about what it's going to look like next year you're still in that connected place which is where I feel comfortable but it's a very positive connected place and so there's a lot about exploring how to live with the downsides of the the gifts we have or the the tendencies we have that might make us good in good at our work or drive us towards activism trying to manage the difficulties as well as explore the the good stuff what really resonated with me was connecting with nature at a time of real distress so my husband and I had IVF I remember having been told that I was infertile and that we would need help and it was it was really devastating really really devastating and I felt so um oh, just so like but this is what I'm supposed to do you know I'm a woman mm. I'm supposed to grow babies and the thing that I turned to was growing, yes. growing things. And I remember my husband built a raised bed and I remember spending that time, which was essentially a time of grieving, you know, grieving for what I thought would be an easy process and, and it wasn't going to be. But being able to get a seed, plant it and seeing it grow was so powerful for me because it just gave me a sense that I could grow something firstly yeah. but also that it was a really great metaphor for me to understand that you know you can you can plant 10 seeds and they all might look the same but only six of them will grow and so when we were on the process of fertility treatment really trying to see how my journey was connected to the rhythms of nature you know that some embryos might grow and some might not it was just so helpful for me and so reading your book and seeing how you although although at times it felt like it was also overwhelming for you having the small holding it, it was that grounding it was a coping mechanism as a way of you connecting yeah does that, does that make sense makes total sense and I thank you for for telling me about that because it's it can sound very can, another one of those things can sound very sort of trite and overdone mm. that you know oh I was you know struggling with um, something in my life or with my mental health or both and I you know went out into nature and I felt better and I <laughs> I try when uh, you say it like that <laughs> yeah and and, and I, I but when you're describing something that's incredibly meaningful and and, and is allowing you to visualize something that's otherwise mm just a feeling and is allowing you to understand a process and something that's happening that is really hard to understand and grasp in, in, in the midst of it. And I think we do sometimes forget that even if we're adults and we've had careers and we're doing things to um, try and help others or help the world in some way, that actually sometimes we we're just the soft jelly vulnerable bit in the middle and we do need things to be made simple and to tap into something very I don't know ancient is probably the wrong word but I'm going to use it anyway um and instinctive within us and I think 
for me, realising there's obviously a huge amount of research, really great research as to the mental and physical health benefits and, and all kinds of other benefits of, of being out in nature and putting your hands in the soil. Mm. You know, it's obviously what we did, what we've been doing for <laughs> millennia. So it's not weird that our bodies and brains would be wired to get pleasure <laughs> from it. Mm. It's why people like foraging, it gives them a, a dopamine when they find a blackberry because you want to get a dopamine hit from things that were would have kept you alive so it makes rational and logical sense but i i think that the, the one of the things i was really keen to do in the bit was also look at the tendencies that had led me to being quite overwhelmed and finding things difficult in the first place were very present in the way that i chose to engage with nature which was to do it in a really big way that was totally ridiculous if I'm honest and of course if you're already doing a great big job and trying to have a side career as a journalist and write a book mm. and manage children taking on a like renovation project and trying to learn to grow vegetables and getting loads of animals at the same time <laughs> is a terrible idea but finding the things that have been really positive in that and sort of get, getting through it and I think at the moment particularly because our lives are, are so odd and difficult at the moment. I'm trying to take a bit of comfort myself in thinking, okay, well, the four years we've been here on the small holding, a lot of it's been really hard, really difficult. I'm really miserable. There's loads of really beautiful pictures and we've done loads of really incredible things and um, that, that I'm really grateful for. And I wouldn't leave and move anywhere else, but it, a lot of it has been awful. But out of that awfulness, I have got a lot of good stuff we have all got a lot of good stuff and some of it is because of the awfulness yeah and that doesn't make it any less awful at the time but I'm just trying to hold on to that now in the sort of pandemic awfulness that awful things are happening to lots of people and and, and some of those complete tragedies but this time for many of us even though it's really hard we will have got something out of it <laughs> just you know I'm just holding on to that and to my experience of that in another context and I hope that comes across to readers as well that it's often in that that pain and that difficulty is where some of the good stuff is just you've got to wade through it <laughs> to find it um, yeah um, yeah the, the yeah. way it isn't fun it is there it's, it's sometimes they're like little invisible threads when my dad died it was a really awful really awful time obviously but when I look back I can now see that there was such moments of I mean I learned that you learn so much when you see someone take their final breath in the world so there's those kind of lessons and actually that's really driving me to create a life that really fulfills me really nourishes me but also the the kindness the kindness of the nurses that were there the love my dad came from a big family and they were all there the love that was in that room at that time I, I think you're absolutely right that in awfulness <laughs> there can be I don't think joy is necessarily the word. Well, you're a wordsmith. You, you, you'll have a better word than me. I suppose if it didn't sound so worthy, <laughs> you would say something about lessons. Yeah. Um, 
and um you know lessons can be lovely and lessons can be horrible but the learning itself is 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 beautiful and it's just you don't often get to stare at the the glittery stuff until after you've learned the lesson and I think in some ways perhaps that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about what, what doing good is when you're perhaps making a deliberate decision to do something a hard way do do something yeah. that is more difficult takes longer will earn you less money is going to expose you to things is going to be really frustrating you sort of sign up then unwittingly to wading through some of the harder sharper lessons <laughs> and my my belief is that there is a ri- there's a richness to that as well as the hardship and that those the hardship and the richness nestle nestle together in in a way that that you can't pull them apart mm. and i would rather and it's not the same for everybody not everybody feels like this at all and i don't in any way think this is the right way but for me I would rather have the hardship and get the richness and to feel like it was some little tiny nugget of truthfulness and honesty than to choose to close my eyes to it and it to be more comfortable. Mm. There is real growth in being uncomfortable. You know, all the conversations that we should be having right now around Black Lives Matters and and all of those things, it is uncomfortable. But that's the only way that things are going to change. If yeah. we keep, as you say, if we keep our eyes closed to it, if we stay comfortable, nothing changes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that doesn't mean that quite a lot of the time I would quite like it <laughs> be a lot easier and yeah. I'm really cross with myself um, um, and wish everyone would go away and leave me alone, which is pretty much my favourite thing to say at the moment. Yeah. Just want everyone, <laughs> the whole world, to go away and leave me alone. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the core, I, I, I don't want that, really. Um, but some silence would be mm. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just, just I, I like going away on my own somewhere. I, I at last kind of April or May, just when I was really getting stuck into the intense bit of writing the book, and it, which was all essentially written the the main bit parts of it and the edits have been done in lockdowns, which um, has made it significantly harder. By that point, I was thinking I'm going to need a week away by myself when all this is over and by I would say September that had become two weeks and I'm now at five weeks I think the holiday I would have to have by myself to feel like I'd recovered from the past year which is never gonna happen but (laughs) I wonder if by the time it's over it'll be like I'll I'll be you know requiring a two-month two-month Right. Yeah, a year retreat in a monastery, in a silent monastery somewhere. Oh, goodness, wouldn't that be lovely? Um, <laughs> um, Rebecca, I could talk to you for hours. What's next for you? Well, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Well, I don't know. Um, I love writing, so I'm sure I will be doing more writing. I'd quite like to write a novel. And the Mothers Who Write group that I run that's come out of writing retreats I was doing. Um, My husband, Jared, and I have sort of put our heads together and we're going to be relaunching that over the next month or two Mm. with a lot more 
online options and hopefully I've put my lateral thinking head on and thought of something that could really help writers who happen to be mothers make time and space to write and to feel okay while they're writing so I'm going to put a bit of focus that way and mm. um, at some point I'd really like to have a rest but I'm pretty self-sabotaging on that so we'll see <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be lots of things because I am incapable of not being thrilled by new ideas and challenges and I'm sure I'll go off and do lots of different things but definitely more writing and hopefully a bit of um, growing of things too mm-hmm. yeah uh, so how can people find out about you and where's the best place for people to go so i am on instagram quite a lot which is at rebecca.shiller and you can find the mothers who write group through that if you'd like to pre-order a copy of earthed i would be forever grateful pre-ordering makes a huge difference to how well a book does mm. and how um, bookshops promote it and how enthusiastic the publisher gets about it so I'm directing everybody to a particular bookshop called Harbour Books which is run by a friend of mine it's a brilliant independent bookshop and I'm I'm going to be doing all special signed copies for those pre-orders using the ink that was made from my oak trees (gasps) Uh, the whole of the cover of the book is made from inks and paints made exclusively from our plot and the dark black is made from our oak walls so i'm it's gonna be a pretty nice pretty nice special fine copy so if you if you feel like picking one up harbour books is the place not only for that but for all your bookshop needs (laughs) (laughs) you're a good friend When you're when one of your best friends opens a, a bookshop and and you love books, then it's just a match. Yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah, no brainer. And I have a website. I'm I'm reasonably Googleable if you want to um, find me. So I will send you any links, Sarah, if you need them. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll put them all in the show notes so people can find you. Um, but I would hugely recommend pre-ordering the book because it is a beautiful, powerful read. And thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and being just so open and honest and lovely and explaining things in such a great way. That's why you do what you do. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I've really, really enjoyed this. And thank you for being another adult human I'm not contractually obliged to talk to so nice to have the most have like really interesting intelligent conversation with someone that I haven't seen every day for a year it's been wonderful thank but you that's what I'm here for if anyone <laughs> if anyone else would like that you know where I am right thank you take care I'll speak to you soon Rebecca bye bye, bye. bye. I really hope you enjoyed that. If something particular resonated, please do let me or Rebecca know. And if you are a changemaker who would like to be part of this growing community of people who want to do good and do well, then please get in touch. You can find me on all the normal social media sites, 
I have a website which is www.sarahfox.co.uk where you can also sign up to my newsletter and of course we have the Do Good and Do Well Facebook group that you can come and join. You're very, very welcome. Take very good care. <laughs>